Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. So let's get back into the Christmas story together. We've been looking at the stories of Christmas for a couple of weeks because we realize at Christmas time that there are a lot of stories competing for our attention, right? You know, there's a lot of stories out there at Christmas time of where our joy comes from, our happiness comes from. For our children, it's that next toy that they're going to get, right? There's all kinds of stories at Christmas time, and we want to immerse ourselves in the story that God's telling. Amen? Because it's the story above all stories, isn't that right? Today we're going to continue. We're going to look for a couple of moments at Matthew's gospel. You can turn to Matthew chapter 1 with me. And we're going to look at the story of what happens when Joseph finds out about the Christmas story. How many of you guys know it was a little bit of a shock for Joseph that first Christmas? So we're going to start in verse 18. Don't sleep on that genealogy that Matthew puts in there. There's a lot going on there. We'll touch on that really as well. But let's pray, and then we're going to read this passage together. Jesus, thank you for your word. We thank you for your story. We pray you'd speak to us and enlighten our hearts Lord, I pray that for every person that's here, that's watching online, that that something new would just land in their heart this year. So many of us know this story inside and out, could tell it, Lord. But I pray that you would bring fresh revelation from this story to each of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and says this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You know, growing up, this might come as a shock to you, but I was a little bit of a storyteller. Growing up, little Ryan could always tell a really, really good story, in particular in a couple of circumstances. I could tell a really, really good story if I wanted something, Right? could tell a really great story about why I should have it. I could also tell really great stories if I wanted to get out of something, particularly getting out of trouble. Anybody like that? Anybody have kids like that today? Yeah. I was a notoriously good storyteller in those situations, or you could just call it like it is and say I was a great liar. I could tell a great lie, right? Side note, I'm totally reaping what I've sown in my son Ethan. He can tell a story like you wouldn't believe. The imagination on that kid is outrageous. It's terrifying. Here's the thing. Despite my epic stories, my mom was never confused. Mom, you're here today. And I know, I know, you were never confused by my stories, no matter how clever I thought they were. She could see straight 
through my fantastic narratives. Anybody have a mom like that? That just didn't matter. She knew, she knew what was up. She, you couldn't pull the wool over her eyes. Thank you, Jesus, for amazing mothers, right? My mom would just listen patiently with a look on her face, you know, blank look like, okay. Just wait for me to finish. And when I was done, she would say these, these two little words, and I would know that I was done for. Likely story. And have you ever heard that before? She would just look at me and go, uh-huh, likely story. Likely story. Yeah. Oh, is that how it went down? Sure it did. It was like a backhanded compliment. Ryan, wow, you're, that's a fantastic story. Well done on your story. Makes sense. Lots of sense, but I'm not buying it. <laughs> not for a second am I buying it. See, when you're trying to convince somebody of something, when you're trying to persuade somebody of something, you want it to sound true, right? You want it to have that ring of truth. You want the good story, because stories bring our hearts into things, right? You make it a likely story, a plausible story. But here's the thing I find interesting about the gospel story and the, the writers of the gospels, the Christmas story. It's like they're not even trying. Think about it for a second. It's like they went out of their way to make this the most unlikely story possible. You know what I mean? Christmas story is the most unlikely story with the most unlikely characters and the most unthinkable happenings along the way. We touched on it a couple weeks ago, but God seems to specialize throughout the word in using all the unlikely characters. Have you noticed this as you read the word? He doesn't go for the best and the brightest. He goes for those who you wouldn't pick them for your team. Christmas puts it on full display for us. The shepherds were not the guys to herald the king's arrival, okay? They were not the trustworthy ones to carry the message. You got Elizabeth, who was too old. Mary was too young. Neither of them were ready to bear the children we hear about at Christmas time. Joseph and Mary, they don't even come from the right place. Seriously. Later on, when Philip goes to get Nathaniel and tell him about Jesus, Nathaniel's like, Psh, nothing good can come from Nazareth. You're wrong. They're not even from the right. Their hometown is wrong. Everything about this story is wrong. You know what, though? If you came to me today and you said, Jesus is doing amazing things right now in Pittsburgh, I'd be like, I'd probably still go. But I'd look at you funny, and I'd have to consider the source and go, pulling my leg here, right? Matthew's account that we just read, it begins with a genealogy. And in that genealogy, he includes all the wrong characters as well, Right? So much has been said about, why, why on earth? You know, you tell people to read the New Testament, and they're like, why do I get this long list of names I can't pronounce, right? Because our enlightened 21st century genius can't figure out why God would start his story this way. But there's so much more going on in this genealogy of Jesus than meets the eye. If you've never done this exercise before, maybe take this one home and do it this week. Go through Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy of Jesus and circle every time you see the name of a woman included in that genealogy and then look up their stories in the Old Testament. I promise you it will bring new meaning to Christmas for you. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary are not exactly the people you highlight in the Christmas photo and put front and center. Canaanites and Moabites, sinful people whose stories are seriously flawed. I want you to catch what Ray Bakke says about the genealogy of Jesus, because once again, it's like, it's like Matthew missed the memo on how to tell a likely story. Ray Bakke says this, 
Jesus choreographed into his own earthly body all of the most theologically sinful bloodlines of the ancient Middle East. But Christmas reminds us, in no uncertain terms, that Jesus didn't just come for the right people. Right? Jesus didn't just come for, you know, the best and the brightest. He came to be Savior for all peoples. Thank God for that. Aren't you thankful that he didn't just come for the best and the brightest, but for you and for me? It's a story full of unlikely characters. It's a story full of unlikely events, unlikely happenings, from wandering stars to skies full of angels, to dramatic escapes, to the virgin birth. There's so many miracles happening all at once in the Christmas story. Yet nothing is quite so as incredible as the, the thing that it all points to. God become man. God become man. J.I. Packer says this, God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk just like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation of Jesus. Everything about the story was unlikely. Staggering, as Packer says. If the writers were trying to give us a more plausible version, a more likely story, they wouldn't have had to try very hard, to be honest. But the Christmas story isn't the likely story that we whip up or the easy-to-digest one that we often want. It's the true story. Amen? And it forces us to wrestle with the God of the Bible. It won't let us settle for the versions of God that we often want or make up for ourselves. And the French philosopher Voltaire once said it like this, if God has made us in his image, we've returned him the favor. What does he mean by that? He means, you know, the Bible tells us we're made in God's image, but oftentimes what we find is we're trying to make God in our own image, the way that we think about him. I like to think of my Jesus like this. Remember Ricky Bobby? (laughs) We like to imagine God in our image. But Christmas brings us face to face with the true God, the most incredible miracle, the God who became man and walked among us. Christmas challenges any other version of God that we might have in mind. And Tim Keller says this, I love this. He says, you know, if God was only holy, he would not have come down to us in Jesus Christ. He would have simply demanded that we pull ourselves together, we be moral and holy enough to merit a relationship with him. Or a deity that was, maybe on the other side, an all-accepting God of love would not have needed to come to earth either. This God of the modern imagination would have just overlooked our sin and evil and embraced us. But neither the God of moralism nor the God of relativism would have bothered with Christmas. The biblical God, however, is infinitely holy, so our sin could not be shrugged off. It had to be dealt with. He's also infinitely loving. He knows we could never climb up to him, so he has come down to us. God had to come himself and do what we couldn't do. He doesn't send someone, doesn't send a committee report or a preacher to tell you how to save yourself. He comes himself. And that's what Christmas is all about, amen? All of the unthinkable miracles in the Christmas story, they align perfectly with the heart of God himself. It's only an unlikely story if it's not the creator of the universe 
the creator of heaven and earth, the God of the Bible, telling the story, initiating the drama for us. The beauty of Christmas is it brings us back to the reality of God who became man for us. It calls us to interact and to make a choice. From the day the shepherds announced his arrival until today, every person who hears this story, this unlikely story, has had to wrestle with it. Amen? That brings us to a very important character we just read about, Joseph. You know, Joseph also had to make a choice, right? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes with me for a moment, okay? The man is more than a little blindsided in this moment, more than a little caught off guard. First, there's the shock. She's pregnant. She's pregnant. N.T. Wright comments on the unique angle Matthew gives us. He says, the central fact is the same, but instead of Luke's version where we get an excited Galilean girl learning she's to give birth to God's Messiah, Matthew shows us the more sober Joseph discovering his fiance is somehow pregnant. You know, Joseph is trying to get his head around this, and just when he's just about figured out what he wants to do, just when he's got his plan and he can see what happened when that bombshell hit him, an angel shows up in a dream. Wonderful. Now remember, anytime an angel shows up in the Bible, it's not a cuddly little cherub with a heart-shaped arrow and, and bow. <laughs> when an angel shows up, they pay, people just collapse in fear like they're dead. So an angel shows up and fresh off the whole Mary problem, Joseph's world is totally upside down. And then, since he's not close enough to a heart attack, the angel tells him the craziest explanation, the craziest instructions as well. He says this, oh yeah, this child that she's carrying is the long-awaited Messiah. Her pregnancy is a unique, creative work of God himself and Joseph. You've got a job to do. You've got a job to do. What would you do if you were Joseph in this moment? Think about it. Yeah, I might be tempted to blame some weird pizza I ate for the crazy dreams, you know? Move on with my plan that I had put in motion. At the very least, I think I'd be seeking a little explanation, clarification on some things, maybe trying to negotiate with God a little bit. Anybody else? Like Gideon, I'm like, I'm going to go get my fleece and we're going to see if that was really you, God. Joseph, however, responds in an incredible way. He obeys the Lord. He obeys the Lord right away. You know, the story tells us that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He woke up and said, okay, I'm in, God. I'm in. He responds in an incredible way. Craig Keener says this, Joseph acts like Old Testament men and women of God who obeyed God's call even when it went against all human common sense. Even when it didn't make sense. Even when it was the unlikely story. If God's the one telling the story, I'm in. Amen? So in fairness to Joseph this morning, his faithful response to God, that's got to be up there on our list of the unlikely things about the Christmas story. Joseph responding like this. He obeyed God in a radical way. He aligned himself with God's story no matter what. That's amazing faith. Amen? Maybe we could learn a bit from this unsung hero in the Christmas story. But the center of the story is still the Messiah who stepped from heaven into all of our mess 
In reality, the way that Jesus showed up in this world, as unlikely as it was, defying all expectation, that's kind of the beginning of a pattern of Jesus' life, right? Defying all expectations, not doing what was expected of him. A pattern that continues this day with Jesus. You know, there were expectations for the Messiah before he showed up. Israel was promised a savior, a deliverer, a king to come. And in his day, he would rescue God's people. And those Old Testament prophecies, they included the fact that the people would return to righteousness, that they'd be saved from their sin, like the angel said. You're going to give him the name Jesus, he's going to save his people from their sin. But here's the thing. They thought they knew how that was going to happen. With the reestablished earthly kingdom of Israel and peace on all sides. Throughout the gospel, we see a massive divide between their expectation for an earthly kingdom and the kingdom of God that Jesus taught and lived out among them. A kingdom which he said is not of this world. They couldn't imagine what Jesus really came to do any more than they could imagine he would be born in a manger in a backwater town. And it all began that Christmas with the least royal arrival of all time. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable. He didn't arrive to a rolled out red carpet. He arrived to rejection. Even the people that the unlikely shepherd heralds went and told everybody about it. They were amazed, we hear, and then they just carried on living their life. This is the story of Jesus' life doing the unexpected, establishing the upside-down kingdom, living the unlikely story. And even his disciples at times didn't get it, right? Actually, pretty much all the time they didn't get it, the disciples. He defied all of their expectations for him as well. I love a conversation that Mark captures for us in, in Mark chapter 10. Mark tells us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the very last time, and he's about to enter Jerusalem in triumph. Some of you guys know the story. He rides in on a donkey. They celebrate because they thought their moment had come, right? All the people are like, yes, the kingdom, now. This is our guy. He's going to give us what we want. He's arrived. And as they're walking to Jerusalem towards this moment, James and John get this funny idea and make a very calculated request to Jesus. Let me just read it for you. Mark 10, 35. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. All right, so boldness, they're not lacking in boldness, right? Really? We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and one of us at your left hand when you come into your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Again, confidence. Jesus said to them, okay, you will drink the cup I drink. You will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten heard about this, you know, the other disciples, they became indignant with James and John, I bet. Jesus called them together, and he said this, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus had repeatedly told them what was to come, why he had come. And they still imagined things going a little differently than his version. Their expectations were still a little off. First of all, could you imagine if you were Nathaniel or Philip or one of the Simons in this moment? You'd be like, seriously, guys? What's wrong with you two? Jesus has to reset some expectations for them. He has to remind them in this moment of why he really came. He echoed the words that the angel said to his earthly father, Joseph, all those years ago. He said, I'm not here for the select few. I'm here to be a ransom from sin for all that will believe. I came to set you free from that rebellion in your heart and restore you to the relationship you were made for with God the Father for eternity. See, I love the disciples throughout the word of God because, you know what, they're also the least likely people, right? They got it wrong a lot. They got it wrong often. They weren't exactly the upper crust, the cream of the crop. They were a bunch of uneducated fishermen. They had a scandalous tax collector, a violent revolutionary. But in the presence of Jesus, they became exactly what he promised, didn't they? They became those great servants of the ages. They followed his lead. They gave themselves up for the true gospel, the story Jesus was telling, the story of God with us. If we're honest, you and I still have expectations for Jesus, just like they did, just like the people did. We have expectations for Jesus. But the Christmas story, it's so staggering for the same reason that it's eternally captivating, that it never gets old to us because God knows all those expectations we have. He knows all those things we hope he'll do for us. He knows our desires. He knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. He knows everything that we desire, everything that we need. And thank God, he did and continues to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. He does the unexpected thing, the unlikely thing, the thing that in a million years we couldn't dream up. He does that for us every single day. See, if it was up to me, I'd write a story for Jesus that's a likely story based on my temporary aims and my desires. But God came himself, not to give me what I want all the time, but to blow away every expectation, to offer every single one of us what we truly need. Amen? He came for something so much bigger than to restore their borders and self-rule or our comforts and our temporary motivations. The greater condition that not only they face, but we still face to this day, is the problem of sin. The condition of rebellion in our hearts against the authority of God the Father. And Jesus came. He came for us because he knows that condition. He's the great physician. He doesn't want to treat a bunch of symptoms in our lives that that, condi- that condition we have produces. He doesn't just give us some medicine to keep us comfortable while the disease rages on. He came to bring us true freedom. Hallelujah. We said it a few weeks ago. He came as a baby in a manger, but he didn't stay a baby in a manger. Jesus went on to finish his work and did what no one expected, even those closest to him. Can you say amen to that? He did exactly what the angel foretold to Joseph and brought us salvation 
and a new future in him. I love the moment we see with the angel and Joseph. I love the way that the name of Jesus is discussed in this passage. You know, he's saying about it this morning, those names that we celebrate at Christmas time, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, everlasting father, Emmanuel, Jesus. You know, there's two really, really important names in this passage, Jesus and Emmanuel. The first one, Jesus, you know, is given to him. That's his given name, Yeshua. In some traditions today, some traditions, but pretty much in every tradition in the ancient world, names carried so much meaning. Parents would name children with very specific names for specific purposes. Yeshua, which Paul calls the name above all names, it simply means God is salvation. That's the name Joseph was to give Jesus. God is salvation. In Luke's gospel, when Simeon takes the baby Jesus into his arms, he says, I've seen the salvation of the Lord. But the word tells us something interesting in this moment. Joseph didn't get to, he didn't, he didn't get to come up with a name for Jesus on his own, did he? No, he was given instruction in this moment. He didn't choose the name, God chose the name. I like what Tim Keller says about this. Points out how significant this is, that God chose the name and Joseph didn't. He says this, in that patriarchal culture, it was a father's absolute right to name his child. Naming was a sign of his control over the family. The angel, however, takes that away. By refusing to let him name Jesus, the angel is saying, if Jesus is in your life, you are not his manager. This child who is about to be born is your manager. People constantly say to me, I'm interested in being a Christian, but not if being a Christian means I have to do X or Y. Do you know what they're doing? They're trying to name him. They're saying, I want Jesus Christ, but on my terms. But the angel says that if he comes into your life, you don't control him. He controls you. As soon as you say, I will obey you if, that's not obedience at all. You're saying, you're my advisor, not my Lord. I'll be happy to take your recommendations. I might even do some of them. No, if you want Jesus to be God with you, you have to give up the right to self-determination. To become a Christian, you're going to have to do something, the courage to do something that our culture thinks is absolutely crazy. You're going to have to commit to denying yourself. Wow. See, that's what I find so amazing about Joseph in this passage. When the angel gave him the name and took away his right to choose one, I think Tim Keller got it absolutely right. He's saying, this child He's not someone who you're going to be able to put your expectations on him. He's going to do more than you could ever imagine. And Joseph is so incredible in his response. Like Tim Keller says, he's denied himself. He dropped his own conditions and he obeyed. Christmas means that the God of the universe is inviting you not to dress him up as your own version of Santa Claus. He's inviting you to a new life with him you can't even imagine. But it's not the likely story. It's not the expected thing. It might even cause you to do some things that are heretical to our culture. But in exchange, God makes to you the most unlikely promise of all. If we lay down our right to self-determination, John says it like this, he'll give us instead the right to become the children of God. And that's a fair exchange if you ask me. If we choose to let go of our solo act, where the world revolves around us, 
and align instead with the story as he tells it, as he is Lord of our stories, we'll learn what it means to have God with us. Emmanuel, that other name in this passage, that other name we celebrate so often at Christmas, God with us. It's still the most amazing thing about Christmas, amen? The hardest thing to get our heads around too, that God would lay aside his divine rights and step into our mess to meet us where we are and lift us up. He came to walk among us. He made his dwelling among us. But the story of Emmanuel doesn't stop with that moment when he became a helpless baby. Because Jesus said at his ascension, I am with you always. Amen? By his spirit, he is personally involved in every moment of our lives when we choose to align with his unlikely story and follow his lead. He's still God with us. God in us, and God transforming us every single day. So let's reflect, before we have the worship team come back up and pray together, let's reflect with what we do with the unlikely story of Christmas. Reality is, every one of us has expectations for God. Every single one of us comes preloaded with things we want him to do for us. What we want to see just like the disciples, just like the people that Jesus came and walked among. You know, they didn't get it in that moment. The disciples, they didn't get it in that moment. But they went on to turn the world upside down, didn't they? They went on to start something that we get to be part of today. So I want to say something really simple to you. No matter where you're at this Christmas, whether you think you've got it all figured out, or whether you're just trying to hold things together this year, no matter where you're at, let the disciples be an encouragement to you. Let the people that Jesus interacted with over and over again be an encouragement to you. Let those people Matthew included in the bloodline of Jesus be an encouragement to you. He came for you, not because you've got it all figured out, but because you can't figure it out without him. And he knows that. And he came for you. In reality, every single one of us is an unlikely story, right? It doesn't matter if your personal history reads like a Godfather movie, or if you were a little angel growing up, not a single one of us can save himself from our sin. Nobody can. That's what the Bible preaches. But Christmas changed everything for us. The God who took on flesh, who came for us, he overcame sin and death for us so that we could be with him for all eternity. Hallelujah. That begins today. That can begin right now. The disciples, they changed the world. They turned the world upside down because they walked each day with Emmanuel, God with us. And he is still Emmanuel for you and me right now. He's God with us, God in us, God transforming us every day. Because every one of us needs transformation, right? I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus. We need transformation fresh and new every single morning. And I'm thankful because his mercies are new every morning for us. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3. He says that we all see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And by his spirit, we are being transformed into his likeness day by day. Because the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Aren't you thankful that he came for us? Aren't you thankful that he overcame for us? And aren't you thankful that he still wants to be in our lives every single day by his spirit? Hallelujah. This Christmas, once again, unto us a Savior is born, Christ the Lord. He was born in such an unlikely way 
that it could only point to God himself making it happen. So let's respond today to the Christmas story with all our hearts and all of our lives. Amen? Let's not be like those people that the shepherds ran and told the story who were amazed and then went back to business as usual. But let's really focus in on the story. Let's be like Joseph who responded with obedience and faithfulness and thankfulness. Let's align our hearts again and be open to the story God wants to continue to tell in and through us. Amen? Because if God's the one telling this story, I'm going to live by faith and not by sight. Amen? Sometimes we can't see what God is up to, but we can go back to what he promised, and we can align our hearts with what he's doing. So any expectation we have this Christmas, let's bring it to him, knowing that he knows our hearts, he knows our desires, he knows our needs. And we want to let him instead encounter us with his love that goes so much further and his truth that sets us free. Let's lay hold of what he really came for. True freedom that only he could bring. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? You just close your eyes for a moment. here today and you've got things that are weighing you down, or maybe you're here today and you're just trying to get through this season and you feel sort of disqualified, maybe you feel like, you know, I know I understand I've heard this story a million times, I could recite it by heart, but I, think, I feel like I've failed Jesus, I feel like I've done, gone too far, whatever it is. Maybe that's you today. And if, if you're here and you're in that place, no one's looking around, would you just slip your hand up? I want to pray for you today. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you're here today and you just got a lot going on. And you're like, I can't even see the story of Christmas through all the things I've got on my schedule, all the things I'm battling with. I'm ready for 2023. I'm ready for a break. If that's you today and you just got a little bit of exhaustion going on, I want to pray for you too. Could you raise your hands? Hallelujah. You're not alone. There are people all over. There are people all over that are wrestling a little bit. I want us again today to hear the word of the Lord. I want us again today to come to the story of Christmas and realize something. Jesus didn't just come for us in our, in our moments where we've got it all figured out or where we feel like we're on top of the world. He came for us in the hard moments. He came for us in the valleys. He wants to be with us. Isaiah 43 says, when you're in the fire, when you're in the river, when you're in the flood, I will be with you. Emmanuel, God with us, is here. He's here right now. He's here for you. Whether you feel like things are great or you feel like you're in a hole this Christmas, God is with you. And he's not scared of your situation. Whether you've got some needs in your life, he knows every single one of them. And he's not, he's not overwhelmed by your list of needs this, this Christmas. So I want to just invite you, turn your, your hands upward to him today. Let's take a posture. You're saying, God, I give my life to you. I give it all to you. Like Joseph today, I hear your story. I hear that you came for me to set me free. And God, I want that today. Lord, make it a fresh thing for me today. Come and bring revelation today of your goodness and your grace and your faithfulness. Lord, you're the one who laid aside heaven's privileges to come and meet me here. I can't even get my head around that, but God, I pray that you would reveal it to me by your spirit, in my spirit today. I welcome you into my heart. 
and I commit today to doing as Joseph did, to saying, God, my story belongs to you. I'm not the one that you would have chosen in my mind, but you did. And so I give you my life. I give you my life this morning. Maybe you're here today and you've never made that decision. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and said, you know what? It may be an unlikely story, but the God of the universe, I can feel you pulling on my heart and I want to walk with you in a fresh way. If that's you today, just simply come to him and say, God, I give you my life. I give you my life. I know that I can't do it on my own. I've tried and I've screwed a lot of things up along the way. I'm sorry for my rebellion and trying to do it on my own and I come to you to make you Lord of my life. I realize that you came for me and I give you my everything. Just tell him that this morning and say, I invite you. Holy Spirit, come live in me. Come make me new creation in Christ Jesus. Transform me day by day. In reality, we all need that transformation and it only happens by his spirit working in us. So for every single one of us that's here, let's just invite him. As we worship, let's just invite him. Holy Spirit, come afresh. Fall afresh on us. Come anew in our lives, Lord. Make us new creations again and again and again. Every day, your mercies are new for us. Every day, you've given us a spirit of overcoming because of who you are. Not because we've got it figured out, but because you are holy. Because you are an overcomer for us. Because you went on to finish your work. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming for us and doing the unlikely thing, the unthinkable thing, defying every expectation on our behalf. And we simply come to worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people say, amen. Amen. Let's worship him. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.